Very beautiful. Great reminder of why we're here and why we'll be here tomorrow, Christmas, the coming of the Christ child. If you can't make it here tomorrow evening at 5.30, Merry Christmas. Have the best Christmas ever if you can. I know Brother Rob already mentioned it, uh, but I'll mention this because I, because I can. Uh, Pastor Julie will be bringing a great message tomorrow, and it'll be great for those who really have never heard the gospel, if you know anyone who needs uh, to be born again. Come on out tomorrow, 5.30. We'll be celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Invite someone. It'll be a great, great uh, service beginning at 5.30. And I think it'll be a little better than last year because it doesn't look like snow's gonna come. And that's a great thing. Uh, this, well, maybe if you're a skier, it's not, but uh, I'll take no snow. Uh, this morning, I'm going to begin right in the Word of God. So if you've brought your Bible, open it up. If you brought your, uh, your, your Bible uh, here and one of the digital devices, go over to Psalm 101, because I want to bring the Word of God this morning from Psalm 101, I'm going to read the first seven verses, and if you've been here for any stretch of December, you can probably guess it'll have something to do with the house, and it does. We've been reading through the Bible this entire year, and we're going to finish up one more week to go, and this week... We had Psalm 101. If you haven't been part of this, uh, reading through the Bible with us, you can see on the back of our bulletin, we have just a little schedule. Pick it up. Join us. We will uh, have for the entire church next year another reading plan. I want everyone to keep the habit. And uh, we'll offer you something different to read through the Bible together. It's a nice, uh, it's really a nice thing to keep God's word alive in us. So this morning, Psalm 101, verses 1 through 7. I trust you're all there. If you don't have the Bible with you this morning, the words will be up on the screen. In the first seven verses, read this way. I will sing of your love and justice. To you, Lord, I will sing praise. I'm so glad we've done that this morning. goes on. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part of it. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, and they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Now, there's one more verse in that psalm, and it goes on to speak of the city and the land. But this morning, I want to focus on these first seven verses that speak to the house. Interestingly, King David, who has been attributed to be the writer of this psalm, 
he has employed this image of a house in the psalm. And it fits perfect into what we've been talking about this month, about the house of God and the open house of God. We've been speaking about how Jesus opened a way for us and he offers us a grand invitation to come into an eternal dwelling. He is the doorway to the house. And how did he do this? Well, the Christmas story began the entire process. God came to this earth as a man. It's an amazing plan that the creator of the universe would take on human flesh. But because Jesus became like us, his creation, he came with a purpose. And one of those purposes was just to relate to us. The word of God says he can sympathize with our weaknesses while he lived them out. We can't deny that he doesn't understand human experiences. But he also had another purpose, and that was to live the perfect life, which he did. He lived a sinless life, and as such, he could be the perfect, perfect sacrifice for sin, to pay our penalty, which he did, and he opened up a way to the presence of God. He's the door to an open house, and we've looked at that image for three weeks. It's an image presented to us in the New Testament, the new covenant, the greater covenant, the covenant of Jesus' blood, not animals' blood. It's the greater covenant. It's talked about in the letter to the Hebrews where we picked up this image of the house and last week the letter that Peter wrote, his first letter, where again, he gave this image of a house and talked about the foundation being Jesus, the cornerstone. And how, did, how is it that Jesus could do that? How could he, he be the cornerstone of the house? He's divine. He is over the house. He's the cornerstone because he's divine. But he's fully human. He's part of the house as we are. And Peter's letter said that we are part of this house because Jesus was fully human. He knows all of the ups and downs of this human condition. And he knows love and compassion and acceptance, even though he was rejected and he understood uh, betrayal and the bitterness of rejection. Now, Psalm 101 that I just read, it pictures a different house. And that house is our house. And the image could be the house, could be the house that we live in, or the image could be our household, our family. I will not let anything vile into my family or across my threshold into my physical house. But I also see it another way. And that's this house right here, this, our body, which the New Testament says is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is a house, this earthly shell. And the proposition of Psalm 101 centers on something happening, I say, with this house. And there's a question that centers around the whole thing and it and it's posed there at the end of verse two. And that question is, when will you come? When will you come to me? Now, this is an anticipatory question, isn't it? 
It's a when question. It's looking forward, sort of like what we're doing here in this uh, Advent season. We are anticipating. We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus. And it has to do with preparing, preparing for uh, the Lord to arrive. See, this psalm was written from the perspective of someone who has a relationship with the Lord. King David had a relationship with God. But it seems like something was missing. Something was missing in his uh, relationship. And so he said, when are you coming? Because there, there was some kind of strain in the, the relationship. There was some kind of tension. Tension. T- uh, excuse me. Got blocked. Tension on this line right here, Bell. What, what, Trust me. What are you doing? I'm what, what are you? What do you mean you're inspecting? I'm inspecting this house. Inspecting these uh, rooms. Going to be inspecting you. Yeah, you're going to be inspecting uh, inspecting me. Oh yeah. Uh, well, what gives you what gives you the uh, the the authority? Who? How are? How is it that you? What is it? The hard hat? Well, I'm from if, uh, I'm from Q-tip. Q-tip. Yep. Okay, Q-tip. Yeah. What's Q-tip? It's an acronym. An acronym. Yep. An acronym for, uh, oh, yeah. let's see, Christians, Q, Queen, Christians. Oh, United. Christians United. To improve preaching. Christians United to improve. So is that, yeah. that's a C, yeah. U. Yeah, C, U, Q-tip. Yeah, you heard C, right. Q-tip. 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 Don't worry about it. It's good. Okay, so you're, uh, you're from Q-tip. Yep. And... Uh, so, what's, what's this all about? Well, I'm going to make sure you're in a regulation, make sure you're of a code, as they say. What's... Well, That's well, a nice the, jacket, sir. That's nice. Is that, that, that's, look, look at that. It's pure lamb's wool. I like 100%. that. No patches on the elbows like some of those old fogies. No, I like no, that. No. That's uh, plus 20 points. Plus... Yeah, plus 20. I like mm. that. Nice jacket. Plus 20. All right. What's your first name? Uh, my first name's Pat. They call Good. me the Patster. The Patster. Oh, yeah. very hip, yeah. hip name. I like that. Yeah. Does Patster. that does that help? Does that help me out at all? Yeah, with yeah, the, yeah. With... I like that. That's okay. a good, uh, good. good. Patrick's a good Catholic name. I like that. Yeah, there is a. Yeah, yeah. Is this it? Is you that... married? I am. Yes. That's a plus. Uh, okay. Irish or uh, Italian? No, I'm Heinz fifty-seven. Oh. Just a little bit of everything. Talking about your wife, sir. But it's okay. That's fine. Oh. You know. I... You get uh, 100,000 points I, I, if your wife's uh, Italian. Yeah, so then, uh, and I married up, so you can oh, throw good. that in there, All right. okay? All right, let's take a look at you. All right, nice. Okay. Oh, I see you got the Bible right there, huh? That's a good, that's a plus sure. there. That, that should be a plus. That's that a, should be a plus. plus. Now, uh, this is paper. You know, I used my iPad last week. Is that a problem? Is that an issue? Oh, that's, that's not good. I don't like the iPad. I like, I like the old book right there, you know? I don't like this fancy uh, technological stuff. Okay, all right, well, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to do the right thing. Okay. We need to bring the truth. All right, whoa. Where's the tie? <laughs> you can't Let, do no good preaching without a tie. That's a uh, minus uh, 50 hey, points. Hey, listen, listen. No tie. I, I got, I can, there's, there's witnesses here for the past three weeks. 
I wore a tie. Hey. And a Christmas tie. The, that's the past. The past is past, okay? We're talking about today, the now. It's all right. Don't get lippy with me, boy, okay? Seriously? Okay. That's a, that, that, that marks me down? It does. It does. Where I'm coming from. Okay. I see you got right. notes there. Hmm. I got notes. Is that a problem? You Is ain't preaching from the heart then. Interesting. <laughs> That's, oh boy. Okay. Notes, okay. But your shoes are very shiny. And I like that. I like shiny okay, shoes on my preachers. Wow. So am All I right. coming in sort of middle of the road now? I felt like I was really taking yeah. a dive Give there. or take. Give or take. You know, it's fine. Oh. All right. Okay. No, no tie. Nice jacket. Shiny shoes. I thought, you know, the notes, I'm really bothered by that. You know, I, I watch, sometimes I see TBN, right. and those guys use teleprompters. That's I true. mean, seriously, wouldn't that? You should try using a teleprompter. It's oh, not bad. Tell her. Okay. That way we don't, we don't hear all of this nonsense, this page-turning stuff. <laughs> People want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. But you told me you like the book. Well, those are thinner pages. They don't make as much sound. Okay. <laughs> so, is there any? Is there? Is there anything else? Like, are you going to? Uh, are you going to stay around to actually listen to listen to what I've got to say? Eh, I might catch it online. We'll see. You know. Uh, are there going to be any jokes? Are you going to use uh, any good jokes? Jokes. So preachers got to have jokes. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, I got one for you. Okay. Today's Christmas, Adam. I saw that guy. He killed. I loved it. Good stuff. Where's okay. he at? There All right, he so is. I got one. Is that, does that give me a plus? A sermon plus? It's got to have a yeah. joke? Yeah, yeah, that's oh. okay. We'll give a plus. All right. Are you going to use any pop culture <laughs> references like hip movies that are out, oh, like Star my, Wars my. or anything like that? No? <laughs> movies? No, yeah. I need movies. Yeah. Listen, you need, I think we're, we should be done here, right? You should just watch. You should just take in the message. Oh, hold on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got something yeah. on the beeper. Hold on. I'll be right back. Have a good one there, preacher. Okay, you sending me the report? Good luck there, Slim. I want this inspection report. <laughs> Have you ever been inspected like that? Like a spot check? A surprise inspection? It's never fun having someone point the finger at you, is it? You should do this. You should do that. Not that. Never easy, never easy, because, you know, you're under scrutiny, right? Uh, and, yeah, maybe I don't have some jokes in my message today, but uh, a personal story. I know people, you know, they'll say that's part of a good message, right? So I can add to this idea of an inspection with a, a personal story. Before I came here to work at the church, uh, the industry that I was in took me to many different types of uh, fabrication and assembly plants from uh, computer hard drive assemblies to uh, jet engine assembly plants to uh, much of the automotive since we're in here in and around Detroit. Me and a colleague were at uh, a fabrication plant once and we were there to see how parts came together. That was it. And if there was a problem, we just wanted to figure it out. So there was this underbody line, and underbody is a very important part of the car. If you got a bad underbody, things aren't going to work right. And they just weren't going together properly. They were getting smashed. 
So my friend and I, we, we had a two-day appointment at this plant, and we're walking this line with our clipboards, and we're taking notes and looking at uh, why were there problems. And man, we got the worst feeling. We, we thought, oh, these, this group is really unfriendly, and we could feel it. So for a few hours as we're walking up and down this line, it just felt like all these eyes behind us till finally one uh, lady had the courage to come up to us and begin a conversation. What are you doing here? And we said, well, you got a problem with this line. You keep, you know, every now and again, you're smashing these two parts together. We need, want to figure it out. We're here just to try to figure it out and uh, help it work properly. And she said, we said, what, why? What, what's, what's with the uh, sigh there of relief? She said, we thought you, were, you two were inspectors here to do a time study. And they hated that, right? Because it meant, oh, they were gonna, your job is getting scrutinized and you're going to tell them they're not going fast enough, they're not getting enough parts done. And she told us, too, there was a group that was really ready to find out what car we were driving and take care of business. So we're very, very thankful. Uh, inspections are never, ever fun. They're never fun when someone's pointing the finger at you because undoubtedly they'll uncover something. Whoever has it 100% uh, perfect. So it's much better to be in the position of the inspector, isn't it? Piece of cake. Pe hey, we could all inspect someone else, can't we? We can point out problems. We can tell them they have issues. It's easy to see the flaws in someone else and what they're doing. Point them out. Hey, brother, you got a speck in your eye. Clearly, you need to deal with that. Let me help you clear that up because I see it and I can tell you to take care of it. But remember the words of Jesus because Jesus said, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a plank in your own eye? And that's where Psalm 101 is a great encouragement. It's an inspector's psalm, but it's not about inspecting others. It's not the surprise walk in, let me tell you what you're doing right and wrong. It's take a look at yourself. Take a look into your own house. Deal with your own specks and your own planks that interfere with your relationship with God and interfere with your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it centers around this question, when will you come? And that's a big part of Christmas. It's a big part of this season we call Advent. Advent is all about anticipating an arrival. When will you arrive, Lord? When will you arrive? The Jewish faith focused on the arrival of the Messiah, the Savior. When would he come? When are you going to come, Messiah, Lord? It was a national cry, but it was also personal. And in Psalm 101, the cry here is, personal. The question is personal. Not just a general, when will you come, but a when will you come to me? And this author, King David, he's making this personal plea. And how could this be a cry from the king? 
How can the king be saying, Lord, when will you come to me when this is the man who is said to be after God's own heart? This is a man who had such a great and deep relationship with God. Time after time, we read of how David expressed his love and his deep devotion for God. So did he have a relationship with God? Absolutely. But there were times when that relationship was uh, strained, when it was... when. It was as if God wasn't there because David had strayed. He had drifted away. Times when he felt distanced from God. And he may have even felt, God isn't even with me. No, one of those times, briefly, was when David was seeking the Ark of the Covenant from the enemy. Now, the Ark if you're unfamiliar, it was just a chest. It was a chest overlaid with gold, but God ordained it. And God said, I want you to keep some sacred things in this chest. Put in there the uh, tablets of the Ten Commandments. Put in there a piece of manna that uh, came down from heaven. Put in there the uh, staff that Moses' brother Aaron, the first priest, carried. And this will be a place of honor and holiness. Put it in the center of uh, the tabernacle or the temple, and God's presence will come right down on it. Well, the enemies of the Jews, the Philistines, they stole. They stole the Ark of the Covenant, and it was gone for about 20 years. Even though they had sent it back, it had been stored at some other person's house, And David wanted to take back possession of the ark. And when he did that, he did it with a great parade, huge fanfare, and someone died. Someone died in the process. And what happened with that death, it affected David. And the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel says David was afraid of God on that day. It said he became afraid of God that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? In other words, how can the presence of God ever come to me? So his relationship with God, it was strained, it was stressed, it was tested. And he became depressed and he he pulled away from God for several months. And it said that during that time, he wrote some of the Psalms or the songs that we read in the, the book of Psalms, 150 of them. It said that David might have wrote Psalm 24, but also the one we read this morning, Psalm 101, has been thought to have been written at this time where David was distanced from the presence of God, but he's asking the question, when will you come to me? And what did he do in order to be prepared for God to come to him? He resolved to make his house ready, ready for the arrival of the Lord. David wanted to be prepared. So he wrote this outline, if you will, for self-examination, for self-inspection. He put together the inspector's checklist. He didn't point out what was a problem with others. He didn't say you and you. He didn't say we. He did not make this a collective. He wasn't pointing fingers at others. He made this personal. If you've read through the psalm or As we read through it, if you noticed, how many times did he use the personal pronouns? I, 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 me, me. It wasn't about others. He was saying, this is about me personally. And he made this plea to the Lord, when will you come to me? And then he made personal vows. I will do this. 
and I will not do that. And this will be in my house and dwell with me, but this will not be in my house. That won't come in. And so the psalm unfolds as this great opportunity to read it and apply a self-inspection. It's kind of like putting a mirror in front of your face. And we're all accustomed to that. We're looking like, oh, is everything okay here? You know, what's, uh, what's happening? Are we, are we got everything set? Do we look nice? We're doing a self-examination. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer from hundreds of years ago, he said, Psalm 101 is David's mirror because it's this psalm of self-inspection. It, it begins with some really broad brush strokes. I will lead a blameless life. In other words, I'm not going to give anyone the opportunity to accuse me of doing wrong, to point the finger at me, to lay the blame at my feet. So I will live a blameless life and I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. He introduces this image of the house. And as I said, it could be the house we live in, could be our household, our family. But I want to take it this morning as personal. This house right here. What am I going to let into this heart, into this house? That's the way I'm reading it this morning. My heart will be blameless. A blameless life, a blameless heart. These are huge, broad brush generalizations. But then he gets specific. He goes from general, now he narrows it down. And the king of vows now his readiness for the Lord to come. And he puts kind of a checklist together for us. From the broad overview to, to specifics. What was the first one? I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. Now, this was written thousands of years ago. And it considered just for a moment how perfect that fits in our 21st century American culture. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. We live in a visual culture, don't we? Everything seems to have come to images, whether they're still images, whether they're video images. The sense of sight is a powerful sense, and it's dominated in the culture. And much of it, much of it, unfortunately, is vile. It should not be looked upon with approval. I probably don't have to tell you just how pervasive pornography is in our culture. That is well known. Too many, way too many look upon that. What is vile? and approve of it. The digital world has allowed it to just become pervasive. And pornography is so pervasive that the prefix porno or porn, it's become a suffix for just about anything, which is, it's hard to even think about. But you know, there's porn of every kind. There's food porn. There's car porn. There is house porn. There's sports porn. There is uh, pet porn, video game porn, space porn, earth porn. I, you can look that up, and what will happen is you will be just inundated with all kinds of 
uh, images and videos about whatever, whatever that subject or topic is so that you can overindulge in it, so that you can get instant gratification. If you're fantasizing about uh, whatever, whether it's, whether it's a sport or whether it's food, you can find this overindulgence and, and allow your eyes just to take it all in. And this psalm is saying, consider that. What are you allowing in? And guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because much of this that we're allowing in, it's vile. It is vile, and we shouldn't approve it. We shouldn't look with it, uh, look on it with approval. And King David, though he wrote this, he suffered of the same types of temptations that we all do. The man was on the roof of his palace, and he was tempted by an image. And he had a great view of, uh, of the city, and there he sees a woman bathing. And that turned into a big downfall for the man because he fell to the temptation, and he fell into sin, and there were painful consequences because he missed his own checklist to be prepared. So be prepared and make it a daily habit, like looking in the mirror and say, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. Next on his checklist, I'll have no part in what the faithless people do. So the first item was really the start of verse three. This second part really takes us from the end of verse three through verse five. I summarize it to you in this line. I will have no part in what faithless people do. And David's time, his nation was surrounded by people who had false idols. They made things out of wood and stone and they bowed down before him and they practiced all sorts of idolatry. And God said, Stay away from those people, not because it's some kind of uh, racist thing. No, because they're going to lead you astray, and you'll next thing you know, you'll be bowing down before those idols. And all you have to do is read about David's son Solomon, and you'll find out that that's exactly the case. Uh, he, uh, he was inundated with all kinds of false gods because he allowed that into his life with people who influenced him that way. So, what does that mean for us today? Does that mean we should cloister ourselves, that we should sequester ourselves from society? Is this what uh, this is saying? Have nothing to do with anybody around us who doesn't believe or think the same way that we do? No, of course not. We live in a world that has all kinds of uh, people in it, and we should have this attitude that we have found something awesome in Jesus Christ. He has saved us from death, hell, and the grave, and why wouldn't we go out and share that? Right? Why wouldn't we go out and tell other people about that? Because they need it just like we did. The people of David's time weren't encouraged to cloister themselves totally. No, they were uh, told don't uh, get involved in these people so deeply that they're going to turn you to idolatry. But the Psalms are full of lines uh, like this. Proclaim the name of the Lord. Make his name known among the nations. Tell them what the Lord has done. So in the Old Testament, they were encouraged to share about their faith. And that hasn't changed for any one of us. What does Jesus ask of us? He says, let your light shine before men. Now that is not some kind of cloistering or hiding from the culture. Let your light shine before men. Why? So they too may come to glorify God. 
In other words, we need to share our faith with people who have no faith. We need to interact with others and let them see the greatness of Jesus Christ and the love and the compassion that Jesus has. We need to share with them the Christmas story because Christ came as a a child, just like us, to take on the human form. The Christmas season is a great time to get into conversations about Jesus. It's Christmas after all. It starts with Christ. And so we have a great opportunity to share But Jesus uh, and this Psalm 101 would say, don't have any part in what the faithless do. In other words, don't be co-opted by their ways. I mean, the faithless culture is ever trying to press in on us and control us and modify the truth. All religions are equal. Don't you know that? I mean, this would be what the culture would teach us. Ah, Confucius and Buddha and um, L. Ron Hubbard, Muhammad, they're all, they're all on par with Jesus. They're just taking you to a place that's great. You know, it's like a big old hub with spokes. You're on the L. Ron Hubbard spoke, no big deal. You're on the Jesus spoke. Yeah, and all these uh, religions are the same. Judaism, Taoism, Shinto, Sikhism, whatever. Christianity. Yeah, they're, they're all the same. You're Jesus. Yeah, he's got nothing on L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology. It's just ways for people to kind of uh, achieve some enlightenment or uh, their way to get to a, their paradise. This is what the culture would, would want to teach us. They want to redefine the truth. And they've redefined terms like the sanctity of life. That's just a choice. You know, they've redefined sexuality and marriage. That's just a lifestyle. They've redefined gender. It's just an identity. They call these things choice or lifestyle or identity. It does not equate to the truth. Jesus is the way and the truth. And we need to share that with the culture and, and have no part in what they do. So... I know that's a balance. That's, that's a difficulty sometimes. It confronts us, and it, it's in our face. But we need to be prepared by making it a daily habit, like looking in the mirror to say, I'm not going to take part in it. I'm going to offer the better way, and that's faith in Christ. I know it's easier said than done. So the next item on the checklist I'll look on the faithful and dwell with them. So there's, there's a positive here. It's hard to go it alone. It's hard to go out there in the world and take them on all by ourselves. You know, David wrote, my eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. So what is that telling us? Surround yourselves with others who can support the truth, others who know Christ, other Christians. The New Testament urges us to spur on one another toward love and good deeds and not giving up meeting together. In other words, we need each other. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encourage one another. We need one another. I need you. I need support. I need prayer. We all do. 
Sometimes we need that help and we need that strength. We need the prayers and we need the ministry of others. And sometimes we need to be there to support and to help someone so that they do not conform to the ways of the world. They are not co-opted by what the psalm says is evil. And we need to be that one who's ministering and praying because it's hard to be a loner. A couple of years ago, there was a young lady that was acquainted with Bethesda, and she had come out of a life of just terrible, terrible addiction and found Christ and was just on fire for the Lord and decided she was going to leave town, go back to her old friends to share Jesus. So she went back and surrounded herself with all her old friends and Despite her great, great uh, heart and her desire to share Jesus, she was alone, and instead of influencing, influencing that group, they influenced her. And sadly, it, it's a hard story, but she overdosed and died. And this is not, not necessarily unusual. It's hard to go it alone. We need help. We need at least one more. That's the basic biblical unit. It's a pair. It's a pair. Jesus called 12 disciples, but he paired them up. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that Jesus paired up his disciples? He had 12 of them, but he put them together. Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew. And then there was uh, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot. Simon didn't do a great job holding up Judas. So sometimes we need more than a pair. We need others. Jesus, when he sent his disciples out to do something significant, he sent them out at least in a pair. He sent the 12 to preach the gospel, but he sent them two by two. When he needed a donkey for Riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he sent two disciples ahead of him to get that animal. He sent Peter and John together to prepare for the Passover. When he sent out 70 one time, he sent them out again, paired up. And he said, go, I am sending you like lambs among the wolves. So he made the point. You know, it's tough out there. And you're going out into the wolves you need to be together. You need support. So prepare, prepare, prepare for a visitation from the Lord, an arrival of the Lord by inspecting yourself and having a circle around you. Say, I will look on the faithful and dwell with them. And finally, I will not allow anyone who practices deceit to dwell in my house. To me, this closes any loophole. If you read this and you're saying, well, yeah, it's telling me to check this and do this and do that, but I still got a little avenue out and I can go do my own thing. This closes out any loophole. And it's a great thing for us because it's telling us that we should resolve to live with integrity. And that really covers it all. Live honestly. I'm not going to let any deceit, any deception into my house. 
It's not gonna happen. I am not gonna allow anything to uh, influence my life in the wrong way. I'm gonna live a life of integrity. Integrity encapsulates the other principles of the psalm that have been previously outlined. I'm not gonna look with approval on anything that's vile. I'm gonna have no part of the works of the faithless. I'm gonna surround myself with the faithful. This is living a life of integrity. No guile, no deceit, no falsehood, genuineness, sincerity, living the truth sincerely, embodied in Jesus. So use the mirror. Don't be afraid to use the mirror, to self-inspect, and do it often. We, every first Sunday of the month when we have communion, we have a time of self-inspection, and it's a great reminder for us, but perhaps we should be doing it more. The man who wrote this psalm, King David, I mentioned to you he was tempted. He fell into temptation and he sinned. He committed adultery. He murdered his friend. And then he went on with his life. He went on his life uh, with his life as if he was walking in integrity. He had let this into his life. He had stopped being the, the gatekeeper of his house. He had stopped looking at that inspection list that he wrote. And he fell to temptation and sin. And he wasn't condemned to hell because he repented. But there were consequences for allowing that into his life. And one day a man showed up. As David was walking, a life of integrity Kind of like this guy shows up this morning just out of the blue. Someone walks into his life out of the blue. A man named Nathan. He said, David, let me just run something by you. There was a very rich man who had many flocks and herds of cattle. He needed a sheep for a little party. Some company was coming over. But instead of taking one out of his big, huge flock... He went to a poor man who only had one little lamb. He took that man's little lamb and he slaughtered that for his party. David was incensed. He said, that man must die. Then Nathan said this. This is 2 Samuel 12, 17. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. He held the mirror up in front of his face. You are the man. You have done this. The Lord arrived and visited David that day through the person of Nathan. And David was unprepared to receive the Lord. He had been walking in his life as if he was living a life of integrity when he had turned his back on that. And he was painfully reminded because he hadn't been looking in the mirror every day like he should have. He had stopped inspecting himself. And an inspector sent by God in the man, Nathan, came and said, you are the man, you are the man. May I never, ever hear those words. May none of us ever hear those words, you are the one. We, we won't if we're using the mirror, if we're looking inside, if we're inspecting ourselves. You know, because the arrival of Jesus 
is not just something that we celebrate on Christmas morning. The arrival of Jesus is not something that we commemorate once a year. Let me tell you, Jesus comes every single day and he comes in many forms. He comes in, he comes in as the one who's hungry and thirsty. He comes as one who is sick or imprisoned and needs a visit. You know, Jesus comes as the one who's needy and doesn't have any clothes. Jesus comes as a stranger who needs to know the way. A stranger who comes and he needs to know the truth. A stranger who needs to see Jesus Christ in you. Needs to see a faithful one. One who has stayed firm and is committed to the truth. One who's walking in integrity. One who offers a, a picture, an image of a house that is a house built on a firm foundation and that is strong and it has integrity, but yet it's open and it has love and it has compassion and it's committed to stay in the course and following the way of the truth because that's eternal life. Will you use this mirror? Will you? Will you use the word of God? And look into your heart and inspect yourself every day. Will you make it your desire? Be prepared for Jesus to arrive at any time. Because he will. And we should all be prepared every single day. We're going to sing a song right now, and I'm just going to ask you to take a minute to look inside. Think about this internal checklist. And as this song is being sung, this is my desire. Make it your desire. And meditate. And if you feel you want to stand when you're ready to sing and praise the Lord, let's, let's leave his house this morning singing this together. This is our desire to honor him, to live for him, to be prepared, to be prepared for him.
you can say this is truly your prayer and your desire personally. And you could say, you know, when will you come to me and be ready and be prepared? And if you want to pray about it, you need prayer, if you're struggling at all, if you even are in a, a place where maybe that, uh, maybe that relationship with God's been stressed a little, it happens. It happens to all of us. I heard a young man testifying this morning. He was yelling at God in prayer because he's going through a tough time, struggling. But God was there for him. And he's there for us when we're genuine and we just yield before him. Let's uh, sing this. And if you want to come for prayer, we have people who pray with you. And it'll be a time where God can minister to you and someone else too. As we read in Psalm 101, the faithful will minister to me. Psalm 101, it began with this. I will sing of your love and your justice to you, Lord. I will sing praise. Let's leave on a high note today. Let's leave praising our Lord who created us and put breath in our lungs. And just thank him, praise him, and go out of here riding on that praise. Let's take it from the top. And this is my desire.
of the Holy Spirit and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came to this earth as a child to make a way for us, to open a door for us, to provide a way for us to receive eternal life. And God, help us to honor that. Help us to honor that, Lord, to look inside and keep the truth. Father, bless your people. Bless them as they go. Lord, may it be a great and awesome day for them as they prepare to celebrate the coming of the Christ child. God, and I pray that as many who are here can return to bless you tomorrow as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Lord, I ask these things and these great blessings on your people in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Receive that blessing and go in peace.